Jay Bear's got an interesting focus these days. Businesses that are faster than you expect and businesses that are slower than you'd hoped. The pandemic has completely changed how we think about time. And we came to realize that each and every one of us has just 1,440 minutes a day. You can't buy more. You can't acquire more. It doesn't matter if you're Elon Musk or someone experiencing homelessness. It doesn't matter if you're American or Venezuelan, a grandfather, a grandson. We each have 1,440 minutes a day, period. Time is, in fact, the only inelastic resource that we all share equally on this planet. This is Timeless Leadership, where we explore what makes extraordinary people tick. We look for the universal truths that will help make us better versions of ourselves. Welcome to Timeless Leadership. I'm Scott Monty. Now, after I do the intro of my guest today, you're going to hear him mention something that might not make any sense. Bear with me on this. Today, we're speaking with Jay Bear author of a new book called The Time to Win, How to Exceed Customers' Need for Speed. And it's available right now on Amazon. You want to go right out and get that as it launches this week. But in the conversation with Jay, you'll hear him reference Dolly Parton. And you may wonder, well, why is Dolly Parton suddenly coming up? There's no context for this whatsoever. Well, it turns out that I had played for Jay the old introduction to the show back when it was about a minute long and I wasn't really concerned about your time and how inconsiderate of me was that. But just in case you're new here and you don't remember the intro, it included this quote from Dolly Parton. If your actions inspire others to dream more, learn more, do more, and become more, you are a leader. And I still love that quote, and it still applies, but we just don't use it in the intro anymore. So, mystery solved there. So let's get right into the conversation with Jay. I'll tell you a little bit about him, and then make sure you go right out and check out thetimetowin.com and see if you can purchase the book, The Time to Win. Jay Bear can see the future. He can connect the dots and sees patterns where others do not. For the past 29 years, he's used this unique gift to help his clients find solutions that work. He's consulted with more than 700 companies during that period, including 40 of the Fortune 500. He's the founder of Convince and Convert, a consultancy that provides content marketing, social media, and customer experience advice and counsel to some of the world's most important brands. His new study on speed and consumer patience is a wake-up call to organizations far and wide. Its primary finding? Customers who have to wait won't be customers for long. And not surprisingly, he has answers to help organizations get faster and better with their clients and customers. He's the author of six best-selling books, including Utility, Hug Your Haters, and Talk Triggers. Though Jay has had great success on many fronts over the past three decades, he's convinced that all his work has led him to this moment in time. If he can help companies become better and faster, customers everywhere will be the beneficiaries. Jay lives in Bloomington, Indiana with his wife Allison and is one of the top two tequila influencers in the world. 
Jay Bear, welcome to Timeless Leadership. Scott, fantastic to be here. Of the some 300 podcasts on which I've been a guest, this is the first podcast where Dolly Parton has partially introduced the show. I appreciate that very much. <laughs> well, you know, I think it, it's my ultimate goal to get Dolly Parton on the show. And um, I think once I do, we'll wrap it up. I, I think we can make that happen. One of my one of my clients uh, in the day is the Grand Ole Opry, so we might be able to work on that. Holy cow. We'll talk about that offline. Well, that's interesting. Okay. Well, we're not here to talk about Dolly Parton or the Grand Ole Opry. Oh, we could be, though. Well, yeah, well that's a whole— An American treasure. She really is, and there's I admire a lot of her leadership, which is why I included that no quote. Doubt. But you are another leader I have long admired, uh, your, your energy, your creativity, and uh, your ability to weave a story story around data. Um, and these are all things that, you know, I think are essential in leaders. And what's interesting to me, before we get into uh, the reason we're here today, is the way you take a passion and turn it into a project. And what mm. I'm talking about now is your tequila influence uh, leadership. W what's that all about? I've I'm from Arizona originally, and about 25 years ago or so, a good friend of mine, Tom Brecky, uh, he and I both got into mezcal, and there was a, a bar restaurant in Scottsdale, Arizona, which really specialized in mezcal, and again, this is long before any of this was popularized, and there was a bartender there who really was early to the game, and, and we were sort of acolytes uh, in his uh, church of, of agave spirits, and really became fascinated with all agave spirits and, and just how... Uh, manual the process is even today to create them, how magical it is, and, and how you can create so many different flavor profiles from the same plant. It is much more interesting in that way than than a rum or a bourbon or whiskey or, or scotch or certainly a vodka. And and I always felt it was sort of underappreciated. And, and being from the Southwest, there were some uh, geographical ties as well. So it's always been kind of the thing that I, I like. Uh, but when I sold Convince and Convert, and stop doing my own podcast, I said, I'm going to take the time that I used to spend recording my show, and I'm just going to try and create some videos about tequila to educate people about this most wondrous spirit. Because many people, Scott, have this tequila memory from college or high school or that one day, and that memory is not a happy memory. <laughs> and, and that is the beginning, middle, and end of their tequila experiences, and I find that to be a real shame. And so I said, I'm going to create content for people who don't know anything about tequila. There's a lot of people out there creating tequila content for nerds. I said, I'm going to create tequila content for everybody else and, and had no expectations other than let me just spend a couple hours a week on this and see if anything happens and started to create videos on Instagram and TikTok. And, and now all of a sudden I have hundreds of thousands of followers uh, get stopped in airports, bars and restaurants all over the country. Uh, and I have been a customer experience and marketing consultant and speaker for 30 years and get stopped never uh, for, for that. Uh, but <laughs> nine months into the tequila game and all of a sudden, I'm a celebrity. That's astounding. Well, you know, what's interesting to me, and here, here's what you watch how this happens. This is, this is what we call a bridge in, in the podcast industry. Uh, <laughs> what strikes me about tequila is it is a very hands-on, very artisanal approach. I remember, gosh, years ago at uh, Social Fresh, uh, Adrian Parker from Patron mm -hmm. was there, and they had uh, VR headsets. And you actually like flew like you were on a drone over the agave farm, and you as if you were a plant, and you went through the whole process, and you see how involved it is and how hands-on it is. And here's the thing: it is something that if you want it, if you want a really good quality tequila, it takes time. 
to produce. It's not something that you just crank out. And if you crank it out really quickly, well, then people might think a little bit differently about your tequila as if it's mass produced. So this seems to be almost in parallel with what you've got going with A Time to Win, which is your your latest presentation. Um, and it's interesting to me because you've taken this theme, A Time to Win, and you've you've skipped the book track, which is the way you've usually gone. And you've mm-hmm. gone st- almost straight to video, as it were, as, we, as uh, we used to see in the movie business. Talk a little bit about what the overall theme is and why you took this approach. Well, you'll be able to get this on Laserdisc uh, at all your local blockbusters. <laughs> I want the outtakes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, so here's the thing. I, as always, when I when I create a new project, and usually I, I do a project every three years or so, and I use that project as the the anchor, the skeleton of my work, and I do speeches around it, and create content, and do consulting, etc. Uh, each time, I, I typically start with research. I feel like it's important to ground this in something other than Jay says this is true. And so in this case, I I launched a comprehensive national research study on consumer patients called The Time to Win and really looked at how important is speed and how do customers feel about waiting today post-pandemic. The reason I do it this way is I always feel like the book is better if I've done the research first, of course, but then also done the presentation a few dozen times. Because here's what happens, Scott. I do the research, then I write the keynote speech, then I go do the keynote speech 50 times. At the conclusion of every keynote speech about the time to win, what I will tell the audience is, I hope you enjoyed this presentation. I'm actively seeking new examples of businesses that are faster than you expect and businesses that are slower than you'd hoped. Please come see me after the presentation. I'll be back in the corner there and I would love your stories, please. And audience members come up to me after every presentation and say, here's what happened to me this time. I harvest all those stories, put them back into the next presentation and the next one and the next one. And then the ones that resonate the most, that are the funniest or the most poignant or the most on point are the ones that make the book, which is why every time I write a book, you'll never find a case study in a book of mine that anybody has ever heard of before because they're not for me. They're from the audience the year before. That's astounding. And I love that approach. I mean, it is a community driven one. It is, you know, the whole notion that uh, the collective intelligence is more collective than the leader. And I think it takes a a great deal of emotional intelligence to be able to uh, accept that. Well, thanks. I I just sort of feel like as a as an author, speaker, advisor, consultant, I don't really know anything. You mentioned it in the introduction. All I'm good at is recognizing patterns and then communicating what the lesson is from those patterns. I don't have a stone tablet or a crystal ball. I'm not a futurist. Uh, I'm not the person who who invents new ideas, but I'm the person who figures out how things fit together and then hopefully can communicate that to a broader audience. Uh, so, so there's no pride of ownership where it's like, well, I have to personally come up with every example. Uh, to me, that's uh, a fairly reductive uh, way to go. You know, if only a certain CEO of a bird app acted like this. <laughs> well, um, you know, true, <laughs> but I mean, the guy does have some some case history that perhaps he does know more than others. But I understand where you're coming. From. <laughs> um, but either way, I mean, I think it's a, an extremely inventive approach. So. When when you think about time, and, I, and we've all heard the cliche, time is money, mm-hmm. um, and, and people are very uh, conscious of how they spend their money, where their money comes from, et cetera. And it seems to me like we are more cavalier 
with how we treat time, both as a society, as individuals, and certainly as companies, as, mm-hmm. as how we think about the customer experience. Now, what's your perspective on that? I think that's largely been true in the past. It's less true today. And this is why I chose to really focus on speed and responsiveness for my work for the next few years. All the books I've written you know, heretofore have included at least some content about speed. This has been an important topic uh, to me for 20 years. But now I really want to do the deep dive. And it's for this reason, Scott. The pandemic has completely changed how we think about time. When you come out of something like a pandemic and nobody is guaranteed anything, I think we all sort of realize that whatever um, health or prosperity or circumstances or scenarios we thought were table stakes, nothing is guaranteed anymore. And we came to realize that each and every one of us has just 1,440 minutes a day. You can't buy more. You can't acquire more. It doesn't matter if you're Elon Musk or someone experiencing homelessness. It doesn't matter if you're American or Venezuelan, a grandfather, a grandson. We each have 1,440 minutes a day, period. Time is, in fact, the only inelastic resource that we all share equally on this planet. And all these trends we talk about in business today, things like quiet quitting, the great resignation, work from home, leisure travel, etc., all of those are actually the same trend, Scott, which is that we care more today about time and how we spend it than we did before the pandemic. And that's why this research is so timely no pun intended, uh, and so vital in that we we literally care more about time and we want to waste less time than ever. And businesses have not largely picked up on this trend yet. Mm. They're still assuming that customers will give them a pandemic pass, like, oh, yeah, they understand supply chain labor shortages. We can get them a sweater whenever we feel like it. And that is not the case. Yeah. And, you know, it's interesting. Uh, years ago, when I worked at Ford, I recognized that we were in a, the commodity business. People don't like our cars or like the way we're delivering to them. They don't like waiting, you know, a certain amount of time. They can go somewhere else and get a, a fairly similar uh, kind of product. I mean, it may not be exactly the same, but it's enough that when people are looking at that great triumvirate, good, fast, or cheap, um, they'll and and fast now it seems to be the the really rate limiting step, uh, pun intended. That people will say, well, if you're making me wait too long, I'll just go somewhere else. And they have so yeah. many more options now. Yeah, it, today I think fast is non negotiable. Right. In the good, fast, cheap triumvirate, you better be fast. And then you can decide from a positioning exercise in your own company whether you want to be fast and high quality or fast and low cost. But you better be fast because if you're not, you will certainly not gain customers uh, and and you also won't won't keep the customers you already have. And we see this in the research quite clearly. More than half of all customers have hired a business that was the first to respond regardless of cost. Uh, certainly happened to me. I, I needed to get a painter recently, got three bids as one does. First painter got back to me in four hours. Second painter got back to me in a day. Third painter got back to me in two days. I, of course, hired the first one, even though it was the most expensive bid. Why? Well, I, I, you know, psychologically, it's like if it takes them a long time to get back to me before they have my money, <laughs> how long will it take them to get back to me when they already have my money? So this happens over and over and over. It resonates with everybody. But here's the thing that's so dangerous for business, Scott, is that 
painter two and three, right, who didn't get the job because they were slower, the fact that they didn't get that business is invisible to them. It shows up on no spreadsheet mm-hmm. or, 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 or no report. They didn't get the business, right? So what they think is that they weren't the lowest bid. So the next time they have an opportunity, they lower their price. They still don't get the job because they're still not fast enough. And they're like, wow, this market's getting really competitive. So they drop their price again. All they're doing is is reducing profits and still not getting anywhere. Largely, when you're too slow in business, the ramifications for that are invisible to the business. And that's what makes it so dangerous and insidious. Yeah. And to me, that's really hard to, first of all, to pick up on from mm-hmm. the inside. I mean, you don't have that external knowledge. You don't have the the, the uh, angst and the, the anger that may be felt by uh, a delayed response that's coming from a customer. They never communicate that to you. It's- no, there's no evidence for it. Because if you even if you ask the customer and say, what was the reason – a lot of times they won't say right. you were too slow. Right. They, they, it just it feels weird to say that, even if it's true. Yeah. Um, so the evidence of it is very, very hard to pick up on. A similar example, I was in uh, Minneapolis two weeks ago at a mastermind with some of my friends, uh, speaker friends, and we were going to get room service and said, hey, let's get room service. And one of the guys who was staying in the room says, don't get room service. I tried to order room service yesterday, and it took 75 minutes. We don't have that kind of time. Let's go across the street to the restaurant. Now, four guys, hungry speakers, high-end hotel, that would have been a $200 room service charge at least. And that hotel got $0 out of that uh, interaction because they were too slow the day before. But the fact that they lost out on $200 is literally invisible to every manager, to every director. It doesn't show up on any report and it never will. That's what makes it tricky. Yeah. And the the notion of insidiousness, uh, I think, is an important one because the leader looks at that kind of situation. First of all, as you say, they don't see it, but they may see that, well, okay, we lost a bid or, you know, there's something that's not right. We'll drop our prices. But then they Mm -hmm. tell, they they bear down on their employees and go, you guys got to work harder. We need everybody on here 100%, 24-7. And it, it ends up falling down to... Uh, the worker level without real understanding as to what the root causes are. And that's dangerous, isn't it? Oh, it absolutely is because you're just running in place. And look, I mean, I think if anything, we've seen with uh, Southwest Airlines recently, Mm. this, this notion that it is impossible to be fast externally for customers if you're not fast internally in your own operations. So often what slows down business to customer interactions is that internal team members can't get what they need from other departments, other divisions, other people. Julie's out sick and nobody can get access to the system of Julie's not here, et cetera, et cetera. And, and so what I talk about in the presentation of the time to win, not so much in the report because that's more a survey based in data, but this idea that you've got to get your internal processes aligned first in order to really lean into responsiveness externally second. That's what you call your got it audit, right? Got it audit. Yeah, you got to do a got it audit to, to sort of figure out what what are what are your sticking points internally. And, and even something which sounds simple but is not in practice, how long does it take you today? So let's say you're in the furniture business, uh, which my family was for hundreds of years. How long does it take you to deliver furniture to customers? How long does it take? When I ask people that question, they say, well, Jay, usually it takes this long. I said, I didn't ask you that. I didn't ask you for a collection of anecdotes. I asked (laughs) you for how long does it take? What is the median? What is the mean? What are the outliers? And they don't know. Nobody ever knows. They don't measure it. They, They might measure handle time in the call center, right? That's about the only 
time-based metric that most businesses track. Mm. And that is a huge problem. You have to know how long it takes you today because the way to win with speed is to understand what customers expect and then be slightly faster than that. Yeah. Yeah, because uh, the, the if your your usual uh, time is whatever it is, uh, a week, ten days, and a customer ends up having to wait two weeks, maybe even a month, well, to them it doesn't matter what the usual is. They know they, they have, have no experience. The right? They've only experienced the one thing. Yeah, that's you know they, they've got one data point. Uh, just like just like the room service. Let's say at that hotel, room service is usually thirty minutes, but they're having a bad day. The trolley broke down. They're out of salt. Who knows? And so it took seventy five minutes. Well, my friend has only experienced one data point with that room service, and it's seventy five minutes. So for him, that becomes the expectation going forward. Yeah, and and you know we we've heard that old chestnut that um, uh, anecdote is not or data is not the plural of anecdote, but it doesn't matter yeah. to that person. That, because it's very real what they're going through and the frustration right. is there. And right. so, so talk a little bit about setting expectations because mm-hmm. I think Amazon, Uber, you know, these kinds of on-demand, eBay even, uh, all these uh, services for decades now have trained us to think in terms of what to expect. What's interesting about Uber and Lyft is it's not too far in the past to remember the time when that didn't exist. And if you needed at a moment transport, what would you do? You would call a taxi. In some cities you can hail a taxi, but but in, in smaller uh, areas you would have to call a taxi. You would call a taxi, you would speak to a dispatcher who typically was not the cheeriest person that you'd ever encounter. I'm, I'm thinking Louis De Palma here. Yeah, exactly. So you get dispatcher is like, okay, welcome, get you. <laughs> And then you get into the land of uncertainty. Okay, when is this taxi coming? Well, sometime between one minute and one year. That, that is all the information that you have. You see taxis driving by, but you don't know which taxi is yours. They all look the same. They don't give you a license plate number. You've got no idea. It's uncertainty. How, how it's it, all it's uncertain. uncertain. Yeah. How long will it take to get your, to your destination? Unknown. How much will it cost? Unknown right? You don't know anything. And so one of the geniuses of Uber and Lyft is it reduces the uncertainty gap. You know what the car looks like, you know, the license plate of the car, you know, the name of the driver, you know, how much is going to cost. You can see the little icon of the car on the app. And sometimes it's going around in weird circles. You're like, what is this guy doing? But at least you know that they're out there. And, and, And this idea of reducing uncertainty by giving customers sort of incremental checkpoints mm. is incredibly important uh, psychologically and has really beneficial uh, revenue and loyalty benefits. You, Domino's Pizza, uh, you know, use your pizza tracker. It's going to be, you know, we're, we're making dough. Now we're adding cheese. Now we're putting in the car, right? You know exactly where the pizza is uh, at, at all times. Most businesses don't do that. They say, the sofa is coming sometime between seven and 11 days. Um, so, so should I take a week off then? What, what, what exactly would you like me to do about this? Um, and, and the other chestnut that we've heard about in life forever is under promise and over deliver. Mm. And expectation management is so critical for customers when it comes to speed. We've all heard under promise over deliver. We all believe in under promise over deliver. However, it's incredibly rare that businesses actually do this. Actual furniture example. I did buy a sofa online uh, during the pandemic 
and it took much longer than they told me. Uh, it, they said six weeks. Uh, on on week twelve, I reached out and said, "So, what's the story here?" And they said, "Oh, yeah, you know, we're we're uh, you know we don't, we don't have enough wood. We don't have enough you know springs or the whole thing. We're out of fabric. I don't remember the whole thing." Uh, and I said, "Well, that's unfortunate. How long has this been a problem? Six months." And I said, well, you know, your website still says six weeks, but you knew all along you couldn't do it in six weeks. Like, yeah, that six-week estimate hasn't been accurate for a while. For six and weeks. I said, well, <laughs> and I said, why didn't you change the website then yeah. to tell people it would be 12 weeks? And she said, we didn't want to turn off our customers. Whoa. And I said, well <laughs> – I'm turned off now, yeah. <laughs> so yeah. now you will never get another dollar from me, and I will tell everybody about this experience, uh, whereas if you would have said, hey, it's going to be 12 weeks, and here's why, not only would you have gotten my money, but I would have been happy with 12 weeks. Well, so this idea that you can just tell customers the truth, mm -hmm. ultimately, that's in most cases going to be a better outcome than, than trying to massage the truth yeah. for the customers and then hope for the best on the back. Yeah, and it comes right back to, you know, one of the, the tenets of trust, which is transparency. And you don't need to give away the whole sausage-making process, but at least if you let people in on what's going on behind the scenes, um, they can be understanding. It's, it's almost like a corporate way of being vulnerable, Right. Yes. Admitting yes. your struggles, your mistakes. I've, I've seen this happen with Southwest. People are really ticked off about what's going on with Southwest. And there was a pilot who made a Facebook post yes. who explained exactly the history here and the angst and how the employees are doing their best. And, you know, the, the heritage of uh, of uh, Herb Kelleher and how that's fallen down the hole, et cetera. And you look at all of that in total and you go, okay, well, I can understand where they're coming from rather than this completely, uh, you know, unfeeling, uncaring airline that's screwing everybody at the holidays. No doubt. I mean, that one pilot Facebook post has done more to <laughs> at least tamp down the reputation uh, d damage than anything they could have done uh, from an actual corporate comms right, perspective. Right, So I want, I want to get back to uh, – the, the Uber example, because there were a couple of different directions I wanted to go there. The first is this this notion of the lowering of the blood pressure by seeing, you know, where your driver is, how long you have to take. But there's a flip side to that that I've experienced, and maybe you have too, is it says your driver is going to be here in five minutes. And then five minutes later, it says your driver is going to be here in five <laughs> minutes. Yes. And you're wondering, like, well, is there something wrong with the algorithm? Is their tracking broken? Is the guy lost? Did he get hurt? All of a sudden, these questions start popping up, and you don't have any other indicator other than the time's getting longer. It's not shortening yeah. by the, the amount it should be. So that's that's kind of uh, the, the flip side of this, is this, if you do offer this level of certainty, then you better be able to either deliver on it or let people know in real time what's going on. Yeah, I have a couple of thoughts on that. I mean, one, it's, it's essentially the same as saying your couch is coming in six and it comes in 12. Um, I, I would say anecdotally in my own life, that is a more recent version of, of Uber and Lyft. I do not remember that sort of 
time-based bait and switch being as big of a problem two or three years ago. It seems to me, and again, this could just be um, wishful remembrance that, that it, you know, they'd say it'd be five and it might be six, but they, it wouldn't be five and then it ends up being 12. Uh, and, and so I don't know what is the source of that. I know there are a lot fewer drivers than there used to be. Uh, and and maybe that is part of the problem, but but you are not the first person to to mention that to me. And I've certainly experienced it myself firsthand that, that it now feels like it's a loose estimate uh, as opposed to <laughs> yeah, a, yeah. Uh, a direct, um, uh, you know, this is how long it's going to take meaningfully. Uh, it's, it's still better than you're going to get from a taxi. But if I was running Uber and Lyft, what I would do, um, just for the same reasons we've been discussing here, I would change that part of the app to instead saying five minutes, I would say, four to eight minutes. Yeah, a range. Yep. Right? Like give them a range exactly. because that way it, it, it you're, you're not being held to the same accountability standard. Now, actually the best case scenario is to go back how it used to be and it says five minutes and it actually is five minutes. Uh, but short of that, the, the next best option would be to change the expectation. Mm. So yes, obviously it is important to be faster. Yeah. This research, which you can find at the time to win.com very clearly demonstrates the relationship between responsiveness and revenue. If you are faster, you will make more money, period. There's no question about it. However, overly simple to say that my advice is just to be faster. Yeah. Because there are cases when being faster doesn't really work. Like this case, you say it's five minutes, but it's actually eight. So, you know, you, you've, you've not managed the expectations well. And there are scenarios when you don't want to be the fastest. You can be too fast. You've heard me tell this example. You go to a Mexican food restaurant, as I often do, because that's where they keep the tequila. And, you <laughs> and in 90 seconds, they bring you enchiladas and you're like, bro, how? there's no way you can make enchiladas this swiftly. Are these, is there like an enchilada machine in the back? Did somebody else order these and send them back? Yeah. They've been sitting on that window and they just waited for the next guy to order the three plate enchilada, whatever. Like it's, it's suspicious how fast they can make enchiladas. And you're like, huh, in cases like that, too much speed reduces the all-important factor of trust. You don't want to go to the fastest tattoo artist. You don't want to go to the fastest eye surgeon. You probably don't want to go to the fastest divorce attorney. <laughs> there are speed works against customer trust. And so you have to understand this in your business. It's not about being faster, period. It's about understanding what I like to call the right now. Yeah. Right now is the optimal amount of elapsed time for every customer interaction and for every business in every industry in every corner of the world, there is a right now. There is a perfect amount of elapsed time. So for room service, 75 minutes is too long, but 10 minutes would be too short. If you ordered room service and it came in 10 minutes, you'd be like, wait a second, this Salisbury steak was pre-made or whatever, right? It, it would be too fast. There is an optimal Goldilocks zone for room service, probably 20 minutes, right? That would be the right now. It's just faster than the customers expect it to be. That's the perfect amount of elapsed time. So what you need to do in your business is, is figure out what that is and then align your operations. Yeah. And, and th that's, that's exactly the other angle I was going to pursue uh, is you know, how fast is too fast? And th your your idea of being able to figure out what that optimal time is, it reminds me of, um, 
You remember City Slickers, right, Jay? Uh, where, of course. Where Billy Crystal asks Jack Palance's character, you know, what the secret of life is, and Palance says it's one thing. And Billy Crystal goes, great, what is it? And he goes, well, that's what you have to figure out. Yeah. And so, so the right now for Uber may not be the same as the right now for the Mexican restaurant as for the furniture company. So of course. how how does a, uh, a leader go about figuring out what that optimal time is for their customers? Some of it is, if you think in three, three or four different dimensions, one is your industry, right? So the, the right now for medicine is different than the right now for um, video games. So, so you have to understand kind of what are the industry norms because ultimately customers are judging your responsiveness versus competitors in the same category. Then you have to look at it through what is your company positioning. So look at a company like, um, uh, progressive, right? It's like, you can save money if you get a quote in progressive within 15 minutes or 10 minutes or whatever their, their, their promises these days. But then look at a company like lemonade, which is a, a purpose-built insurance startup company that processes claims using AI within three seconds. Three seconds. Wow. To get your insurance claim approved. Progressive ain't going to get there. Not going to happen. Nor do they need to because they're a big insurance company using old school rules. They're never going to be the fastest. But their customers don't expect that of them, but they do expect them to be fast. Lemonade says – from the very beginning, we'll process claims in three seconds. So they have taken speed on as their competitive differentiator. So you have to understand where your company is within the pantheon of, of competitors in your category. Then you have to understand what your customers expect of you, and which probably requires some survey work. You know, how fast would be too fast? How fast is fast enough? But going back to the got it audit we talked about a moment ago, you've got to understand how long does it take you today? You know, how long does it take to do these things? And most companies don't know. So you start there. Say, all right, how long does it take us to deliver furniture? All right, well, typically, um, on average, it takes us 6.1 days. All right, well, if we could cut that to five days or four days, what would the impact be on revenue, loyalty, customer satisfaction, all these things that matter? Well, let's find out. Let's, let's align our organization to lean into four-day delivery in a, in a test scenario certain market, certain type of customer, certain uh, style of sofa, what have you, do it in four days, then measure what the impact is, prove that business case, and then go tackle the next part of your customer journey and make that faster and figure out what the right now is for that. So the key to this is understanding it's not one project. It's a bunch of projects in sequence. So each of your customer interactions, you say, all right, how long does it take them to order a couch? How long does it take them to pay for a couch? How long does it take us to deliver a couch? How long does it take us to repair a couch? Et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And each of those are their own micro project. We're going to figure out the right now for each of those and you stack them on top of each other over time. Yeah. And now you really got something. Yeah. And I mean, that takes such a commitment to um, improvement, such a commitment to your yes. customers. Um, and it's not going to happen overnight. I mean, this is something that evolves over the course of the business. And you got to have people there that really care about this stuff. And I, I have to imagine that from a founder's mentality or a CEO's mentality, uh, that they're probably more more invested, more passionate about this stuff than their people are. Um, what are what are some ways that you can uh, call out that you have seen leaders helping their teams understand the importance of focusing on this stuff? 
Well, one of the keys to this, as you said, is because it's a process, not a project, it's a series of projects that become a process, you're never done with this because as soon as you've kind of done your round of figuring out the right now and implementing it, your customers expect it faster, right? Speed expectations never pause and they never go backwards. So what was fast enough today will not be fast enough in the future, which is why you will never be done with this ever. So just get your arms around that right now. <laughs> You know, as soon as as soon as you think you've got it figured out, you're going to have to ratchet it up another level because customers will want it to be faster yet. So somebody in your organization has to be able to lead this kind of work. You need a leader who has visibility and, and frankly, some authority mm. over all the different departments because this is going to involve sales and marketing and ops and finance and R&D and every other conceivable department service, obviously. Um, somebody has to be able to orchestrate this across all these departments. This can't be owned by marketing. This can't be owned by service. It's much bigger than that. So this really is a leader's question. This is a CEO, COO, CXO question. And somebody has to say, I am going to make sure that we have the right now, because I believe it will be the secret to the sustainability of this organization. I believe that if we execute on this, we will be so much further ahead than any other company in our industry. And because I believe these things, I am going to make it happen, recognizing fully that it's not going to be easy and fully understanding that it's going to take probably years to really make this idealized but this is the commitment that I'm going to make to our customers and to our people. That's what it requires. Yeah. And it, it's it's tough because I think so many of these customer fronting departments, uh, marketing, communications, customer service, they're seeing the alarm bells ringing. And yes. they're, they're, they, if your system is built well, there's a feedback mechanism there that informs the operations, that informs the process. But if you don't have someone there, as you say, Jay, who is in a position of authority, who can take that information, synthesize it, and then get the teams organized to respond to it, then it's just going to be a lot of frustration for both the, the teams and the customers. Yeah, you can't put this on the front lines because all they're trying to do is run in place. Right. You know, no, nobody on the front lines is sitting around saying, well, I shouldn't say nobody. It's rare on the front lines for people to say, well, we don't care how long it takes. Or, you know, it's okay if we're slow because when they aren't as fast as customers expect, the front lines are the ones who get the blowback. So I think they're trying to do it as fast as they can. But as we talked about earlier in the show, in many cases, it's your internal operational sticky wickets that actually prevent the business from being faster, which is why it's got to get fixed from the inside out. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, we've we've covered, um, I think, many of the aspects of uh, what you call the time to win system. You know, we've got the got it audit, the right now, speed at all costs. What what else are we missing here? That I want to make sure we've uh, we, we've covered everything. Uh, one we didn't talk about is um, is not making customers wait for their answers, mm. um, and and this is not new news, but I think it merits uh, repeating. This idea that, look, if I asked everybody tuning in to the show to grab a piece of paper and a pencil and write down the 50 questions your customers ask most often, all of you could do it. Every one of you could do it right now. But then if I go to your website and I look at your frequently asked questions, there's six questions there. <laughs> what happened to the other 44? Like, if you know your customers have questions, just answer them proactively. Don't make the customer 
ask. The best way to be faster than customers expect is to be proactively fast, right? To answer the questions before they're asked, that's the best way to do it. This is why chatbots work in some cases, right? Because mm-hmm. they, they, they are set up to answer the questions that happen over and over and over. And yes, some of that's a technology um, uh, assist, but more so I think it's a philosophical question, which is why do we make people ask us questions? Mm-hmm. Why don't we just inform them better from the beginning, and then they won't have to ask us any questions at all? Yeah. You know, speaking of chatbots, too, what's interesting there is I know there's been an institutional design. You know, they've studied this over and over again. You can put in your questions into a chatbot, and you know it's AI. I mean, it's automatically generated, and the answer can get spit back at you in milliseconds. But if you want to make people feel like there's an actual human on the other end— they actually build in a manufactured delay to make it seem like there's somebody typing. You know, they put the three dots up there. Yes. And, and, and it seems it's the right now. Like it's, it's the exact same right. idea. It's the right now. That, and, because if it's too quick, you're like, this is obviously canned. It, exactly. And I think that that simple example is a brilliant execution of making people feel like somebody's working on your problem and then delivering that information that they've requested in, in exactly the right amount of time. Fake typing. That's (laughs) fake typing. We're at the point now. This is timeless leadership. (laughs) The era of fake typing. That's what we've come to. Fake typing and hold music. I think those are the two things we can can work (laughs) on. So, uh, Jay, as we wrap up here, I would like you, if you would, to grace us with what I think is one of the all-time stories. This has been in your your repertoire for a while of uh, a Twitter incident involving uh, a certain national train company and talking about that as an example of uh, responsiveness. You know, there are companies that that are not fast enough uh, all the time, and and there are companies that are not fast enough circumstantially. uh, And Amtrak uh, experienced that. This goes back a few years now, but this woman, Amanda Carpenter, went on Twitter and, and sent a tweet that says, guys, I'm trapped in an Amtrak elevator at BWI Airport, which is Baltimore, help. So this is you know, trapped in an elevator. Now, now you can question whether or not a Twitter is the best way to be freed from an elevator. <laughs> I think there's, that definitely is, is on the table as a question. Um, like maybe you should press the fire button in the elevator, et cetera. Um, she also didn't tag Amtrak, which I find interesting as well. But either way, uh, I'm trapped in an Amtrak elevator at Baltimore's airport, help. This is, by all uh, accounts, a distressed tweet. Uh, 205 days, 205 <laughs> days elapsed. And then Amtrak tweeted that, at Amanda, we're sorry to hear that. Are you still in the elevator? <laughs> Which is not fast enough. That, that, that is not the time to win. Uh, that is not the right now. It is none of the things that we've talked about. Uh, I actually interviewed the Amtrak social media manager on my uh, Social Pros podcast a while back, and and we talked about this incident. And apparently, it was some kind of software error, and somebody didn't didn't uncheck it, or et cetera, and and uh, you know all that. But Amanda was able to uh, to to free herself MacGyver style out of a hatch or something, scrambled the safety. Amtrak felt pretty bad about it, gave her a free train tip, uh, train trip eventually. So everybody uh, both survived and, and thrived. But that's not a good look. I think we can uh, we can agree. That that uh, we can do better than that. Well, and if anything, it just underscored Amtrak's commitment to timeliness. 
<laughs> Absolutely. Uh, yeah, and what's what's the most amazing part about that is no one was surprised. They're like, oh, yeah, that makes sense. That's Amtrak. Oh, classic. Well, uh, Jay Bear, uh, the time to win. People can find out more about this at uh, timetowin.com. It's the, the time to win.com. Thank you for that. Um, there is uh, there's a YouTube presentation. There's uh, the, the study that you can download, wonderful 30-page uh, or so study uh, with a lot of takeaways for uh, customer speed. Um, what else would you like people to know before we wrap up here? I think that's that's it. I mean, this this applies to every business, B2B, B2C, small, large. doesn't matter what industry you're in. You can lead with speed, and I hope that you'll consider doing so at thetimetowin.com. Jay Bear, thank you for being on Timeless Leadership. My pleasure. And thanks to you for being here on Timeless Leadership and listening all the way through. Just a reminder, I will be back next week with a solo episode, just something coming from my brain directly to yours. It'll be related to what we talk about here with Jay, but I hope you'll join me for that. I'll also be taking your questions, feedback, or uh, maybe a conundrum you'd like me to help you with. Just email me at timelesspod at scottmonte.com and we'll drop it in there. Until next time, may you dream more, learn more, do more, and become more, for you are a leader.